Hey, welcome to Tape to Tape, powered by the new Ram 1500 Sport, built exclusively for Canadians. I'm Ryan Dixon. Joining me, as always, on the other line is Rory Boylan. Rory, how you doing? Not bad. Sitting here, chilling in the bedroom, where I hope I have some better acoustics. These are the things we think about these days. What room do I need to go in? <laughs> yeah, I got my work hole down in the basement and... Uh, you know, it's a little dingy, but that's okay. We do have a window and yeah, getting by just fine with my makeshift quasi studio in case we do any video down the road. So other than the fact I'm starting to climb the walls a bit, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm finding, you know, I'm having about one day a week where it's kind of like, ugh, you know, it gets to you mentally just a little bit. And then you kind of get over that hump and you're through it again. And I don't know if it being sunny outside helps or hurts that. Um, <laughs> I'll go with helps, but I know what you're saying. I do know what you're saying. Yeah, I'm talking to people I talk to every day and similar conversations. And I think everybody's going through the same thing, right? Where maybe you have a tough time, whether it's once a week, more or less often, whatever it is. And, you know, everybody's just got to kind of get through these same things. So, you know, the conversations that I'm having, everybody's saying the same, just stay strong, push through this, and we will all get through this together to some brighter days on the other side. Um, it's, you know, just have have the faith that we will get there and, and push through. Well, one thing that always makes the two guys on this podcast come alive is talking about potential player movement, trades, free agent signings. That's what we're going to dive into today. We're going to take a look at what might be ahead in the offseason? We don't know when the offseason will be or what form it will take. Maybe but at we're some in point, it right now. <laughs> yeah, who knows? We may already be there. And at some point, we are going to find out and we're going to get some player movement. It happens every summer via the free agent market, via the trade market. So we're going to try and circle some guys, some big names we think are potentially on the move. We're also going to look specifically at. The goalie carousel, there are some interesting UFA guys coming up, whether you're looking for a starter, whatever that means these days, if that's 50 to 55 games, sometimes uh, even less, there's there's a whole bunch of guys, or a few anyways, who have kind of carved out a niche as 35 game guys, guys like Yaroslav Halak and Anton Hudobin and Thomas Grice, all of those guys are also eligible to become UFAs. So we're going to try and see if we can maybe sort out some landing spots for those guys. We also are going to talk a little draft. Sam Cosentino, his April draft rankings are up at sportsnet.ca right now. So check those out. No surprise. Alexis Lafreniere, the top available guy. So again, we know there will be a draft. We're just not 100% sure when it will happen. We do know or certainly feel very confident that Lafreniere will go high. Another guy who went high in the NHL draft once upon a time, Terry Ryan. Terry was the eighth overall pick of the Montreal Canadiens in 1995, played eight games for the Habs, never made the show full-time, but he's done all kinds of things in his life. He played in several pro leagues. He's an accomplished ball hockey player. I was out in Newfoundland this past summer to write about Terry while he was playing at the national tournament there. Uh, he's written a book called Tales of a First Round Nothing. And if you go to IMDb, you can see some of the movies and TV shows he's been a part of, either as a member of the crew or in front of the camera. Very lively and creative guy. We're going to drop in on Terry 
from beautiful Mount Pearl, Newfoundland, a little later on. But we might as well start with the big boys, Rory. We were debating a little bit back and forth prior to the podcast about some guys who there at least seems to be a little smoke, a little fire to these guys. Uh, They're people who've popped up in rumors before. You look at their situation, maybe their contract, you start doing the math and think about teams that could be looking for a change and you come up with some names. I think Johnny Gaudreau has maybe rocketed to the top of this list over the course of the season. The Calgary Flames have not gotten to where they want to be in previous playoffs. Johnny Gaudreau is a wonderful player. He had a fantastic season. I mean, he's had a few, but one year ago he was very good points-wise. But it seems like if the Flames have kind of hit a ceiling here, he has two years left on his contract after this season. And it just feels like he's someone who there'd certainly be a market for, and Calgary might just be looking for a different type of player. Yeah, there would definitely be a market for this guy. No question about that. And it's not that Calgary would, you know, go out and try and get rid of him or be aggressively shopping him or anything like that. But the idea, this this goes back to the beginning of this season, maybe even last off season. Calgary was coming into this year with very high expectations. They finished as the number one team in the Western Conference last season, got upset in the first round by Colorado, but really that was supposed to be a sign of things to come and didn't really happen this year. I mean, when the NHL paused its season, Calgary was third in the Pacific Division, but only in a playoff spot by one game. And Vancouver, who was the team chasing them, had a game in hand. So very real possibility that the Flames would have missed the playoffs or maybe not even won around again. And then the conversation was going to start to turn to where if they didn't take another step, if they didn't win a playoff round or if they missed the playoffs, is this core the one that was going to be able to take them to the next round. And that specifically has to do with the forwards. And it's Sean Monaghan and Johnny Gaudreau are the two faces of that. I think it would be harder to move on from the center than the winger, but the winger might actually be able to bring you more back in a trade too if Gaudreau is the guy that they decided to move on from. But you look at the way the team is made, you know, like Matthew Kachuk is going to be, I think, a captain of this team at some point, and he is still coming on very strong as a player. You know, Monaghan is going to be there. The defense is really set in a lot of ways. Like Giordano was getting towards the end of his career, but still looks like he's got some good years left. You've got a pipeline coming up, Yusuf Valamaki, Rasmus Anderson. I mean, you've got a decision to make there on Travis Hamannick or TJ Brody, who are two pending UFAs. I would be surprised if they didn't bring Hamannick back. I would be shocked if they brought Brody back. So probably one of those guys does return. So your defense is kind of set. Your goalies are interesting. It looked like Riddick was going to be the number one. Then Cam Talbot was kind of taking that job over towards the end of this season. But you have stuff there. Like it's not an urgent area that you need to upgrade from. But up front, it's been kind of up and down. You know, you know you've got Kachuk, but Monahan and Gaudreau have both had good years and bad years along the way. And two years out from his contract expiring, like you mentioned on Goudreau, is, is now the time to strike while the iron is hot. You probably don't want to be making that move when he's in the last year of his deal. You want to be making that deal when you can get as much back for him as possible. And so it would seem to me that doing that 
where a team that acquires him gets him for two years instead of one would be when you do it. It's just the timing of this obviously couldn't be any worse. You don't know what this team would have or could have done. You don't know what the market's going to be because you don't know what the salary cap is going to look like. Who can absorb that? And so from that perspective, it might actually be harder for Calgary to trade Goudreau now than it would have been in a normal circumstance. But you could see from the 70 games that the Flames played this year that it didn't look like they were going to be taking the step a lot of people expected from this team. So you wonder if the plan has changed at all or if they'll still look to maybe trade Gaudreau in the offseason. So who would be a couple other guys on your list of high-profile guys who you just think it might make sense for them to be on the move this summer? Well, I mean, one that jumps out that was mentioned at the trade deadline, and it didn't make much sense to me for him to go at the deadline. A lot more sense to go in the offseason is Matt Dumba. Those are the kinds of moves. I mean, he's got, can't remember off the top of my head, but he's got a number of years left on his contract. He'll be controlled for a while, and he comes with a sizable cap hit over $6 million. That's a hard trade to make in season for teams that would be interested in him that wouldn't be able to absorb that salary cap. You can go over the cap by 10% in the offseason. So regardless of whatever this pause, this shutdown does for the cap, you still are going to have room to maneuver in the offseason. So as long as you're under the cap again by the start of next year, you're fine. That's why I think Dumba does get traded this offseason whenever it happens. He's... I mean, he's exactly the kind of defenseman just about anybody wants, and he's controlled, right? So you can get all sorts of things for him. I think because he was mentioned, I think they were probably taking calls from him at the trade deadline. Maybe some groundwork was, was laid for some potential future deals. At least those conversations had been had. I think maybe this is the time they go. Of course, the other thing that you have to wonder about Minnesota is they were starting to look like a pretty good team again yeah, by the end exactly. of this season. So you got to wonder, like, on one hand, they look like a team that's kind of stuck in the mud, spinning its wheels and just need a change of something. And that Dumba would be a kind of guy that could bring you in some assets to infuse that change. But on the other, you got to wonder, like, this is a first year for a new GM. They got a new coach. There's a lot of things that were changing around that team. Um, do you give them another go <laughs> at what point? Like, or do you give up? It's, that's going to be a really hard decision to make. And then I got to say, Ryan, this one is not realistic to me, but it's one that comes up every summer, every offseason, it seems, of Genny Malkin uh, from the Penguins. It just doesn't seem to me like one that it makes sense to happen. They're going for Stanley Cups still. And until he falls off of a cliff due to age-related decline or something goes wonky, like he asks for a trade-out or something like that. It just doesn't seem to me like this is something. But it is It is a rumor that comes up every off-season to varying degrees. And again, I'm hearing this year, like, this different. it's different this time. I can't believe that to be true until I see it. It's one of those things. I remember us talking about this years ago, I think the first year of the podcast, Ryan, when we were debating whether or not Pittsburgh should tear it down and go into a rebuild. And that was before they won their most recent cup. So again, we're just, this is like a tradition at this point. Malkin's name will probably be floated out there to some degree. It's just hard for me to believe in it. I just don't know what Pittsburgh is getting back in that trade that moves it further along, right? Like if it's in win-now mode, how are you further ahead by trading one head on your two-headed monster? Well, that's just it. I mean, and what is everybody looking for when you're trying to win a Stanley Cup is depth down the middle and star power. And that's what Pittsburgh has in Malkin and Crosby. 
star power and center. So it's not a strength that I would think that you would want to give up on. I mean, those two guys alone have have carried this team at certain stretches. Uh, you know, when Crosby went down, Malkin, anytime Crosby goes down, Malkin is just an absolute beast. He's won a con Smythe. Like, he's a guy that... You know, he wakes up on the wrong side of the bed one morning and look out, he's going to just yeah. destroy whoever he plays. And and you never know when that's going to happen. Even when he doesn't have that kind of a game in him, he's got a really good baseline to fall back on, too. So, you know, what kind of a trade would you be making for Malkin in normal circumstances? That's a guy you're probably only trading if you're looking to step back and you're getting picks and prospects. And that's not the kind of move Pittsburgh would do. I would think if they're looking at that, they're looking for you know, maybe a, a prospect, but the meat of the trade would have to be depth coming back. And again, this is a, still a star-driven league. You can find depth for cheap contracts just to fill out roster spots. I think when you've got these stars, you got to keep them. And there's no way that you could come out of a trade like that and win it. So that's why it just doesn't make any sense to me for the Penguins to move on from them. All right, let's move on ourselves to the goalie market. It's pretty intriguing. I didn't really think a lot about who was available until I started digging into uh, the piece I wrote earlier this week on Sportsnet about uh, just sort of off-season storylines to keep an eye on. And I mean, at the top of it, I think you still have to say at the top, is Braden Holtby, at least in terms of the most accomplished guys on this list. This is a Vesna winner. This is a Stanley Cup winner. If he was going to the open market even two years ago, he might have been in line for something like we saw from Sergei Bobrovsky last year and the Florida Panthers. However, the past three regular seasons, he's been a very average and sometimes below average goalie. And this year, that's been the case. This has been the worst of his career, really. And now he's... Headed there as a guy who's going to turn 31 in the fall. I just don't know, you know, as we see teams really starting to shift their approach and how they pay goalies and not having that traditional split that we were used to where one guy plays a lot and someone else just kind of fills in. Now we're seeing a more even split. What do you think the market is going to be for Braden Holtby? So he makes $6.1 million right now. And I think we have to go on the assumption anyway that the cap's not going up. I would be surprised if it went down. So let's just say it stays flat. Does Braden Holtby even get a raise at this yeah. point? You yeah. know, I mean, his save percentage is below 900. He wasn't really losing the starting job to Ilya Samsonov. I think if the season kept going and we get to playoffs, Braden Holtby is the game one starter for the Washington Capitals. This isn't a Philip Grubauer situation from a couple of years ago, but Holtby was worse this year than he was in that year when Grubauer took over for him. I think it's just reasonable to ask, does he even get a raise? And then you ask, you know, what other teams would be interested in him? He'll be 31 years old by the time next season starts. So right away, you're getting a guy in those years where it's a little, you know, a little iffy for goalies. You don't really know. It's a really hard position to project uh, at any point. And then you just look at it from Washington's perspective. I think Holtby's got to stay. Um, and maybe, maybe the answer here is it's a you know, this is risky for the player for sure, is is a short-term, like, two or three, I can't think it's one, like a two or three-year contract, yeah. right? okay. And then, you know, if he bounces back and maybe he can hit a little bit more or something. But I look at Washington and I see a team that, yeah, you have Ilya Samsonov, he's 23, he's got another year after this uh, on his entry-level contract, and he, and he does very much look the part. 
but you don't have anybody else beyond that. So you're basically, if you give up Holtby, you're going to have to lean on Samsonov for a lot of games. Um, and then from Holtby's perspective, I mean, I don't know if there's another team out there that's going to bring you in and give you the same shot at winning the Stanley Cup that Washington is, is going to keep doing. So it might work best for both team and player from that perspective. Of course, if he doesn't come back or if he does, like it could work out very, very poorly for Holtby in the end. But the other problem from Washington's perspective is there's not a ton of cap room to work with there. I mean, you look at what they've got committed to next year's roster. And if you assume the cap stays flat, they've got approximately $10 million in cap space and not really a lot of big names to resign or anything like that. I'm more looking for the next year. You've got a big contract to take care of a year from now in Alex Ovechkin and another young player who is coming on very strong. Uh, Jakob Verana is going to need a contract extension. Both of those together are going to be big. So, you know, I'm really torn on this. Like, is it, is it worth also you're going to have to pay Samson off. So is it worth paying Holtby anything $6 million or above, or just moving on from him, having Samsonov as your number one and kind of finding the backup yeah. to tandem with them and then just dealing with it from that and hope that Holtby doesn't find his old self somewhere else. Either way, it's a risk for both the team and for the player. I think there's a couple of spots Holtby could land. I just don't think that it's reasonable to expect him to get much of a raise, both because he struggled and also because that Bobrovsky contract I mean, it's a warning. It's like, a cautionary tale right now. Yeah, That's right. I don't know if anybody gets a contract like that again from that so position. So a couple other guys who would fit the definition, I think, of a starter who will bring some intrigue. I mean, Jacob Markstrom in Vancouver, I think we can assume the team would love to have him back and the player would probably love to be there. It's just going to be a cap question. And then Robin Leonard, a guy who bet on himself last year. He was a UFA goalie last year and signed a one-year deal with Chicago, was subsequently traded to Vegas, and a good save percentage again this year. This guy has been a really good goalie the past couple of years, two or three years now. What do you see for Leonard and Markstrom? Well, boy, I mean, yeah, okay, let's start with Markstrom. I mean, I think the team would definitely love to have him back. I think he would like to go back there, and it is simply a question of cap. Thatcher Demko is a good prospect in and everything, but he's not the guy that you're going to want to be your number one. If you lose Markstrom, you're going to have to go out and get somebody else to replace him, and so maybe one of these other goalies becomes his replacement if it comes to that. It's just, you know, Markstrom was very much before his injury, like, in the Vesna conversation, some people Absolutely. were even saying like maybe he should get a nod for a, a Hart Trophy vote or something like that because he was so valuable to the Canucks there. But you look at the Canucks, and again, that's a team that's bumped right up uh, against the cap, and then they face the question of do they want to re-sign Tyler Toffoli? And if it comes between a decision, I mean, you're obviously going to keep the goalie because that's who's more valuable to your team. But then again, in a year, you've got Alexander Edler's up, Elias Pettersson is up, Quinn Hughes is up. They're big contracts on the horizon for this team. So again, you're kind of faced with this question of, you know, what does a goalie get? And, and what is Jacob Markstrom worth? You know, if, if Braden Holtby is 6.1, is Markstrom much higher than that, given his track record? It took him a long time to get here, but it now looks like he is a very solid number one goalie. But again, like how much money and how much term are you willing to invest in that, given his track record? And Laner, Robin Laner is a very interesting one because even after 
the really good year he had uh, with the New York Islanders, it only got him a one-year contract from the Chicago Blackhawks, and then they traded him to Vegas. So, But still, even behind a porous defense in Chicago, Laner had a very strong year again this year. When he got traded to Vegas... I wondered if you might play more games down the regular season stretch than Flurry just to rest the starter more, but then Flurry would be the, the goalie of choice in the playoffs. And then I wondered, would they just re-sign Laner anyways? That tends to be what Vegas does, right? They trade for these guys and then they sign them to contracts right away. They're not losing a lot of guys. And yeah, they're going to have some cap problems, but you know, Flurry's also 35 years old. He's got yeah. two years left after this at $7 million. At what point do you invest in Laner for between three and five years? And maybe, you know, what's it going to take? $5 million? Again, does he get to that $6 million threshold? And at that point, you're spending $13 million on your goalies when you're already spending a ton of money on your defense and, and your forwards. You're going to have to probably make some decisions elsewhere on the roster. But the idea being that Laner kind of transitions these next two years are the years where they're a tandem. And then after that, Laner is now the number one goalie. You know, he's much younger. He's seven years younger than Lurie. So there could be a natural kind of move there. But at the same time, Laner has said it. Like he's kind of looking at this point in his career, given his recent accomplishments, he's looking for a termed contract and a number one job. And you wonder if Vegas is the best fit for that or not. And if not, like, is San Jose a team that could use him? That team desperately still needs a goalie, right? And how great would that be that they take this goalie from their rival after their yes. rival takes the coach that they had recently fired and all this stuff? That back and forth would be interesting. But San Jose is obviously going to be a landing spot for a potential landing spot for any of these guys. Laner's just, to me, a little bit more. I'm not really sure what to make of him still. What about Carolina? That was the team that's- that sort of popped in my head as a team that's kind of been messing around with these tandems. And I mean, I don't want to talk about. Robin Lehner, like he's Dominic Hasek, but I mean, he was a highly touted goalie coming up through the ranks and, you know, obviously his battles with mental health are well chronicled and you can see that he was someone who struggled with that early on in his career for a big chunk of his career. But I mean, since it just feels like since he has spoken publicly about that a couple years ago, I mean, basically from the time he went to the Islanders in 1819, he's been a really good goalie and it's not like he didn't have good flashes before that as well. I mean, he had a season in Buffalo where he was 920, you know, I would feel pretty good, as good as you can feel, I guess, about handing out sizable contracts to goalies. But, I mean, if I could get him at a decent number, I wouldn't balk at the term at this point. He's a guy that I'd feel pretty good with between 27 and 33 or 32. You know, give him a five-year deal for five per. And if I was Carolina, again, a team that's been out there trying to kind of slap tandems together... I think that would represent a lot more certainty than you've had in the past. I mean, the other teams that I've kind of thought about whether they would be sniffing around trying to just make a move and try and accelerate a rebuild or just get a lot better is New Jersey. I mean, I know Blackwood is there and and he this year has shown some signs, but I mean, it's not like they can put their feet up and say we solved the goalie problem. And Buffalo, Buffalo, I mean... That team has to do something, and if you could steady the crease a little bit, I mean, Olmark's been good, but that's another team that I wonder if they might throw a little money at the goaltending problem and hope that all of a sudden you knock that out and your fortunes rise. 
Yeah, and I don't think Laner would be the best fit to go back to Buffalo. Probably not. Probably not uh, that marriage, no. Yeah, Carolina's interesting because... You know, they do have two goalies under contract right now, Mrazek and Reimer, but they're both going to be expiring contracts after the 2020-21 season. So, you know, those are guys you can probably wave or something just to you get could, them. You could, someone might maybe. give you a seventh round pick maybe. for one of those guys to be the backup. Maybe. Like, they've been pretty, they were pretty good this year. So maybe you can get something like that. Although the goalie market is all very strange. You know, the two teams that I keep coming back to for these are both playoff teams, funny enough. Edmonton and Calgary have just really weird situations there. So, uh, you know, start with Edmonton. So they've got that Miko Koskinen contract that Peter Chiarelli left them with. $4.5 million for another two seasons after this one. And then Mike Smith, he's a UFA at the end of this year. They were a good tandem this year, surprisingly. Especially Smith was um, much better than I expected him to be. And you wonder if they just bring him back, but he'll be 39 years old. And it's he's kind of one of those situations, Mike Smith, where I'm like, you know, he was great for you this year, and that's fantastic and everything, but I don't know if you want to take the chance that next yeah. year's the year that he really starts to hit a wall there. And so... I wonder if Edmonton would be in the market for any of these goalies, Laner Holtby or Markstrom, if any of them become available, because hypothetically, they could be the guy that comes in and stabilizes, and they could work as a tandem with Koskinen for as long as he's there too, because he was pretty good and he seemed to be improving his glove hand, which was a major negative factor for him the season before. And in Calgary, I mean, getting back to what we just talked about with Gaudreau, like this is a team that needs to be thinking of ways to get over this hump and probably do it before Mark Giordano gets to the end of his contract and the end of his career. The end of his contract is in 2022, two years from now. And again, like, you know, Cam Talbot will be a UFA at the end of this year. David Riddick would be a UFA at the end of next year. And and that whole goaltending dynamic was very quickly becoming a bit of a controversy in terms of who was going to start and what kind of a leash would he have in the playoffs before he went to the other guy. And any one of these guys potentially could come in here for not a ton of money, really, and stabilize that position and be a guy that they can feel confident moving ahead with. So I don't know what's going to happen between those teams, but I really think that one of Edmonton or Calgary is going to do something on the goalie market this year. And it wouldn't surprise me if Laner, Holpe, Markstrom, maybe Henrik Lundqvist, depending on what happens with him in the Rangers, ends up on, on one of Cal- uh, Canada's Alberta teams. Well, and like I said, you've also got this other class of guys, Hudobin, who's been just great in Dallas. Oh, best backup in the league. Yeah. Yeah. Halak, uh, Grice, you know, formed a great tandem with Leonard a year ago and was pretty good this year in Long Island. I think all things being equal, those teams would like to hang on to those guys. Yeah, I, I think you would you would like to hang on to them. You wonder, you know, does a guy like Kudobin try and find a number one job somewhere? I don't think that's who he is though. I think he's just in such a good place both in terms of workload and and the team in front of him is just an outstanding defensive team. I mean, Corey Crawford, Corey Crawford's another one. Yes. Actually, that's another one. Yeah. And that's another team we should add to this list is Chicago in terms of, you know, they traded Laner. Maybe they lose Crawford to free agency. They're going to need a goalie and they have aspirations to get back into the playoffs too. So they might be a landing spot for, for any of these guys as well. But Crawford definitely is a sneaky guy. You know, he's, he's won a cup He's older than you think he is. <laughs> when you, like, he, it, it always shocks me when I look and see how old he is. But he's a guy that, you know, again, you're not bringing him in to be a number one goalie. You're bringing him in to probably be the B of a tandem. 
and and that's just fine. Maybe you've got a younger goal. You know what? Maybe if Washington doesn't feel comfortable paying Braden Holtby what it would take to keep him, even for short term, Crawford would be the guy that could come in and be the, the backup slash tandem guy with the much younger Ilya Samsonov as that kind of experienced veteran hand who's kind of seen it all and done it all and be the guy who could sign for $2 million or less than that to come in to play behind Samsonov. And then you've got a whole bunch of cap room you wouldn't have if you kept Holtby too. So Crawford is a guy I would look at. Try and find teams that have a young goalie like that who would probably earn more starts so you wouldn't have to lean on Crawford as much. But a team that could use that kind of veteran experience and a capable guy to come in when necessary. And I think there are a couple of potential landing spots for a guy like that in the league. So just quickly before we bring in Terry Ryan, what jumped out at you from Sam Cosentino's April draft rankings? You know what I was looking for, Ryan, is when um, Todd Hlushko joined us a couple of weeks ago, I was wondering if Tim Stetzel was going to cross Quentin Byfield for uh, number two on that list. And it didn't happen, although Stetzel was the top-ranked European skater on Central Scouting's final rankings, the first time a German player had ever finished top in that. You know, in terms of what else kind of jumped out to me, I guess Jamie Drysdale jumping all the way up to number six, maybe not a huge surprise. Anton Lundell falling to number 12. You know, at one point this year, early in the year, he was a top five guy all the way down to number 12 now. You know, there are questions about his offense. And then, you know, in terms of a jumper, a guy who's really risen up, I think it was the March rankings where we really saw Jake Sanderson's name take a huge jump up. Um, and after a record number of U.S. national team development program players were taken in the first round last year, it's not going to be the same this year, but Jake Sanderson is the top-ranked guy out of that program right now, the son of former NHLer Jeff Sanderson. He ranks 13th on uh, Sam's list right now. He was top five on North American skaters for Central Scouting. And in the conference call, there were three Central Scouting scouts, and they were heaping praise on Sanderson and how the guy had taken huge strides in his game this year to the point where they don't even think they've seen his ceiling yet. There's, there's so, um, in, in terms of projection, like there's so many more things that he can develop in. And in, from how far he's come, through the season. I don't even think he was a top 31 on Sam's initial ranking. So that he's 13 right now, I think is just a huge kudos to him. And, and I'm always looking finally where the goalie lands. Yaroslav Askarov, number 10 on Sam's list, the top ranked European goalie. He's probably going to be the only goalie that's taken in the first round this year. Had a terrible World Juniors, but a good season overall around that. A lot of good tools, size, speed, quickness, all that stuff that you need uh, to be an NHL goalie. And in Sam's write-up, he says, look, the window for where this guy could go starts at pick number five and then could go anywhere in the first round beyond that. So it's going to be fascinating to see where Yaroslav Askarov eventually ends up. Alexis Lafreniere, Quinton Byfield, Tim Stutzel, Alexander Holtz, and Marco Rossi, your top five on Sam Cosentino's April rankings. And you know Sammy always kills this list. All right, stick around. The always entertaining Terry Ryan coming up next on Tape to Tape.
Hey, welcome back to Tape to Tape. We are pleased to be joined now by the pride of Mount Pearl, Newfoundland. It is Terry Ryan. Terry, how you doing? I'm doing uh, pretty well considering the circumstances, guys. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on today. Our pleasure. Um, yeah, how's everyone doing in uh, in Newfoundland? Well, it's the same circumstances as everywhere else. Uh, in Newfoundland, I guess, I mean, we're all following the rules like everywhere. I don't think our numbers are out of whack. Uh, I think they're pretty normal. But um, it's for Newfoundlanders, it's a bit of a, it's a little bit more of a culture shock. I don't want to say shock, but it's a little bit more impactful because think of Italy. Think Why do you think it spread so fast in Italy? Because hugs and they kiss both cheeks and they get, Newfoundland is a lot of social activity, a lot of dancing, a lot of singing song, a lot of getting together, lots of get togethers. Uh, you know, sports are one thing, but around here, our bond as a people, as Newfoundlanders lies in, you know, how well we do socially. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for everybody, I think. It's hard for everybody in the world. I mean, there's so many factors. I just mean from my lens, I see Newfoundlanders having, it's not natural for them. It's not natural for anybody, but for us, it's really not natural to not not associate with others. So how are you keeping yourself busy, Terry? We know we've got Tales with TR, the podcast. You're loving some video games these days. What are you doing on social media? I see you there all the time to keep yourself connected to the hockey world and to the world in general. I tell you, when you create things, and you know, I do some other things. I do some short films and I act. I write a little bit, um, you know, or I write a book, so I'm doing that. And I find it almost, now that we're given all this time, because I try to harness the energy positively. I mean, that's just, I don't want to say my motto, but Ryan, you know as well as anything, after interviewing me last summer, I don't want to say knock down too much. I don't want to sound like a victim because everybody has hard times. I think mine were just really publicized. So I've always had to take some energy that might be negative and try to put it out there positively. So when this happened, naturally, I thought, you know, well, now I can finish my book or now I can... Uh, write another short film, maybe I can do this. So each day I get up and I try to do something else, whether that's a podcast or my daughter, we wanted to come up with how she was going to do homework. And the school does a little bit online, but now she does her own podcast. She did episode three today, the Princess Penny podcast. Nice. It was her idea. I'm not going to say I made her, but I made her do some sort of work. Like made sounds like such a bad thing, but I'm a parent. (laughs) And, um, she had to do something, right? And her teachers send out some things for them to do online, but it's it just wasn't enough, really. And, you know, now we have all kinds of time on our hands, and I didn't want her necessarily on a video screen. So what do you want to do, Penny Lane? you want to write? Do you want to start a journal? Do you want to start a diary? you want to do a podcast like Daddy? Do you want to do some acting lessons? What do you want to do? So she uh, she decided that. She got pretty excited about it. So we just did our third one today. Um, and like I said, I've been doing podcast and I've been writing uh, my, I can't really divulge too much information about this, but I've been writing a TV show with a friend. Uh, he's doing most of the writing. I'm uh, kind of guiding the story. We're working together. It was an idea I had years ago and what better a time to try to make those ideas come to fruition. So I'm keeping busy. And the other thing, guys, working in the film industry as my regular job. So we just finished doing Hudson and Rex, right? So we were on hiatus from that show anyway. I'd normally be back to work now, but my makeup, my jobs, they often consist of working real hard for a month or two and then taking a month or two off. Right. And in that off time is when I create things. I like to do my podcasts. I like to write chapters for my book, maybe 
write some film. I'm just kind of starting that. I've done one short film. But anyway, point being, during these times, I can actually harness the energy in a positive way. I would love to be able to see people more. But outside of that, I just get down to working. You know, I think that's really good advice for just people in general, right? Who are at home getting maybe a little bit of cabin fever. Just even if it's not something that you would normally do, try and find something that you can get creative with and have fun that maybe in normal circumstances you wouldn't have ever tried to do before because you're too busy and you're you're too focused on this, that, or the other thing. You know, spend time with your family and spend time trying to be creative with yeah. something. Well, and like I said, when I so each day I try to put something out there. Now, some of the time it's an Instagram post and people might laugh, but there are levels of depth to Instagram. Right? Like, I don't want to paint anybody in a bad picture, but, you know, a lot of people just take a picture of their face every day from a different angle. Selfie! And they put some kind of, you know what I mean? I find it, like, almost, it's like almost, I look at, and there's a lot of them. And, like, I mean, like, a large portion of the people I watch, women and men, and I'm going, okay, there's your face for the 99th time this <laughs> month. I get it. And they might have some proverb, right? Or, uh, you know, always work hard or... You know, the <laughs> early bird gets the worm and it's a picture of them in like a bathing suit, you know, looking their best in the summer. Uh, yeah, okay, I get it. And that's fine. That's fine. We don't have to follow anybody on Instagram. But when I say that, in other words, it's each person's page. I can't necessarily sit there and crap on them for it. Everybody's different. But when I say I spend time at it, I might go back through an old, like I've been doing recently, the Tri-City Americans when I played for them in junior in the WHL, we would have a booster buddy assigned to each player and they would do scrapbooks for us and they would take pictures at every single game and every article for the whole year and they would make these scrapbooks. So now I'm going through them and I'm like, holy cow, I could put so much out here that I've never really, I mean, I paid attention to it, but while you're going through it, you kind of take it for granted, right? And now I'm looking back and I got every day in Tri-Cities documented every day by the booster buddies. So I might take a bunch of pictures combine them all up, make some collages, put in a Facebook post, but like, you know, really put in some time and thank the people that put it together for me. You know, I do have a podcast, so a lot of people are interested. So maybe give four or five paragraph description. Maybe the next one, you know, a lot of fans ask about, you know, what are the top fights or goals that you've gotten? Well, if they're on the YouTube, I've just been putting them out there and trying to explain it. And, you know, really putting in an hour, hour and a half into these things. Again, I know it's just an Instagram post, social media, you know, sounds so light and fluffy but there are ways that you can enhance you know you guys have a podcast you know like that's the way i look at it i'm managing my social media now i try to do it creatively to play in the hand of my podcast or uh, you know my book number two if it ever comes out it's all going towards something there's there's a method behind the madness so terry under normal circumstances i know a lot of your time would still be taken up watching hockey you obviously still love the game and you know absorb so much of it so i mean this is the time of year where we would have been voting on awards the playoffs would have been firing up i'm just curious from uh your uh viewing of the nhl this year did you have one guy who you thought was your guy for the heart trophy oh god uh you'll have to refresh my memory i know dry going in but uh okay who else would have been up for it it's tough though for me because i think dry i'm doing this off the cuff I think he was like a heavy minus. I think he's on a playoff team. I think he's like minus 13 yep. or something. Yeah. That might, if you're asking me, ee, that's, 
That's the only thing that really pushes it back because you know what a lot of people are going to say with Drysdale? They're going to say, well, he played with McDavid all year. But I'm like, he did, but he still was ahead of him in the scoring regardless. And I mean, I'm not saying he's any better. I'm certainly not. I do think he benefited frame from McDavid. I think if he played with a star, a mere star, as opposed to a generational superstar, it would be different. How much different? I don't know. But what I do know is that he carried the Oilers when McDavid wasn't playing. And he did it with huge numbers, much like Malkin did with Crosby when Crosby was out a few years ago. So there's a huge argument for that. What are some more names uh, that were nominated? Nathan McKinnon or Temi Panarin, David Pasternak. Yeah, Pasternak, again, huge year. But what, uh, you know, if you were to name each one of those players and what guy means the most to his team, I, I don't, but then I, then we're merely talking about the best player, not the MVP for this season. It's a really, it's a it's semantics kind of thing, but I think Nathan McKinnon, I'm mesmerized when I watch him he, play. He's and unbelievable. He's unbelievable. And I'm surprised that almost exclusively people talk, well, you know, McDavid's the best now and overtook Crosby. There's an argument for those guys, but in today's world, Nathan McKimmon is almost like a modern-day Gordie Howe. Like, he does everything, and he's so strong. Like, you, you know, whereas Crosby, McKinnon, and, and McDavid are hard to compare, first of all. It's just like I've always said about the best in my mind ever to play the game of hockey, Lemieux, Gretzky, and Orr. They're all so different, it's hard to compu- com- compare them. But if you're asking me for an MVP for that season for a team... I don't know, man. I watched a lot of Colorado games only because he was playing. And at both ends of the ice, many nights, he was the best player on the ice. Terry, I'll get you out on this one. So obviously, we don't know when the season's going to come back, if it come back, what it will look like and all that stuff. But there's all these ideas being floated around about what a playoffs could look like if we do get them back uh, to finish off 2020. If we can't do the traditional four rounds, best of seven throughout... Um, you know, maybe you take a few more than 16 teams, a few less, whatever you want to do. Is there a playoff format that you would like to see tried? Maybe it's one that's been mentioned. Maybe there's something that is in your mind. Is there something creative that you think would be fun for the league to maybe try? I don't know if I have my own solution per se, but I, I want to see the Stanley Cup given out, um, even if there's an asterisk. So whatever they agree on, I mean, I'm not part of the decision. But if there was, if the players got together and the owners and the GMs, whoever it might be, representatives from each team, they can all come up with that. The NHL is a big boy league. I'm sure that they can all come up with an agreement. I wouldn't even care. I wouldn't care if it was eight teams and a two-week tournament. I wouldn't care because, again, it's all relative. And it's either that or no Stanley Cup. So whoever wants to argue, it, to me, it's either do you want one or not. I mean, I really wouldn't care if it was a shootout. I really wouldn't. If the, <laughs> nice. if, the, if the teams agreed on it, I don't want to see that. I certainly don't. But if the teams get together and they agree on something, because the thing is, guys, to talk about it now, I find it a little bit callous. You know, I'm looking yesterday down through the, uh, you know, Twitter, the Twitter box, and, you know, you're seeing this 400 more die in certain in, in Oklahoma, and, you know, uh, you know, respirators are at a low, and, uh, you know, we don't know if Doug Ford can get the medical equipment from Trump. And then you look down, the NHL looking to play in June. I just find it really, it just lay off. You know, let's not even talk about that shit now because I I do, I find it callous. There's people dying every day. I don't really care when it starts up. Now, if it does and when it does, if there can be a solution, great. 
Right now, I'm worried about my mom not being six feet under during this. Right? That's what I'm worried. She's 67. Mm-hmm. She smokes like a tilt. She's got diabetes and she's overweight. If she gets it, the chances are she's not going to live. So I'm sure everybody, as we patrol the hockey world and the sports world and the everything world, we're all living the same sort of life. And that's one, not of panic, but of major awareness. And, you know, if I look at Twitter and see, you know, Justin Bieber canceled his summer tour. Well, yeah, I mean, he should have a long time ago. I get it. You know, the NHL saying that maybe in July we're going to have it. Look, that's probably not going to happen. The only way I could see it happening, not that you asked, but is if we start next season late and have this playoff in like August, September, October. I'm just going by the doctors. I mean, poor Dr. Fauci on CNN. He's answering the same question every day. And he's the lead expert on it. All I'm saying, I'm merely, there's all kinds throughout North America. I mean, NTV, CBC, um, all over the states. I mean, everybody's doing their version of reporting locally and provincially, whatever it might be, internationally. And I think they're all doing a great job. Uh, It's hard to say that the doctors are. They're trying to help people. They're it's it's chaotic in a lot of places. So these doctors that are on and the and the leading scientists in the world, if all of them are saying, you know, we're not going to have the vaccine for close to a year, well then, okay, how are we going to get together? I, I can see how you'd play with no fans just to have a winner, but still, how are you going to play the game of hockey with blood, sweat, and tears? The NHL playoffs, nonetheless, right? How are you going to do that? I just don't see how it's going to happen. If you got an answer and it's completely safe, great, I'm all ears. And when that answer comes, if they do it with a shootout, doesn't bother me. Because the alternative is that there's no other, I don't think that's going to happen now. But it, let's just say they did it like the NFL, where the top eight teams played or the top 10 or 12, whatever they wanted to do. And, you know, you play one game playoffs. You know, sure. I, I don't want that to be said. And I think hockey's one of the sports whereby... One game, anybody can win. So it'd be kind of unfortunate for that to happen. But whatever, the alternative, guys, is that there's no Stanley Cup. So asterisk or not, I'd love to see a champ, right? I'd love to see a champ. And the last thing I'll say is that it's not, if I've learned anything in my life, it's not all about winning and losing. I wish people would get that through their head. Like if you look back at any of these podcasts, my podcast, by the way, is called Tales with TR. Before I go, I'd like to plug that. Well, my my guest today, it was Craig Mills. And, you know, Millsy and I told some great stories about great teammates. And you might be happy if you win one pro championship in your career. But you look back and how many good experiences and how many friends. And if you were to look at my Facebook or my Twitter or my phone calls, my inbox, anything, a lot of it is through either indirectly or directly players that I came in contact with, experiences I came through with in hockey. If we, if we decided to have, say, a Memorial Cup-style tournament for the NA, for the uh, playoffs, for the Stanley Cup, well, of course, that would be a crappy way to do it, right? That would be not ideal. But it'd get everybody talking. It'd be a story. And those who won and those who lost in 10, 20 years from now would look back and say, man, do you remember that chaos in 2020? But it's a story. It's not always about winning and losing. Whoever wins is going to have a ring. But other than that, we're going to have something to talk about, right? There's going to be people all over North America weighing in and weighing out, and that's what fandom is all about. So bring it on. Absolutely. Get Terry a Stanley Cup final of any kind because, yeah, you're right. It's exceptional circumstances, and 
That's why we come to you, buddy, for the passion. We love it. All right, TR, stay busy and stay safe, all right? Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. And uh, you guys stay safe as well. That is Terry Ryan. As noted, you can catch Terry telling stories. That's what he does. He's a raconteur of the rock. I had to get that one in there. A lively fella. Tales with TR is the podcast. As you mentioned, he's also does a lot of television and film work. He's a full-fledged member of the arts community out there. Thanks so much to Terry for joining us. Thanks to my co-host Rory Boylan. As always, everyone stay safe out there and check back next week for more glass rattling hockey action on Tape to Tape.